0: Begging for your mercy, I pray for them, Lord, that they would find and worship today this very Jesus who says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I pray for those who came lackadaisically or apathetically today that some thing done today in your word in song, in prayer, in fellowship, in the proclamation of the gospel, would spark the the apathy and turn it into flame of passion for Christ. And I pray for those who came in far from God, that through the gospel they would leave near to God, to you. I pray for our team laboring in Ecuador right now that you would keep them safe provide everything they need to be successful in getting the water systems installed and getting the gospel into the ears and hearts of the Sachula people. And I thank you that you would let me stand in this place. What an honor you have given me. In Jesus' name. Amen. I am really delighted to be with you today. I'm suffering from a cold. If you haven't already picked up on that, um, and so I'm hacking a little bit, struggling with this. So I didn't go around and hug your neck or shake your hand today during our welcome time. I'm trying not to be a donor today. I want to be stingy with my cold. Um, what I want to do today is... Provide a framework for us in what we're doing all the way till Christmas in focusing on this capital campaign and reminding you of a couple of things that are urgently important to me. First, uh, it's not about the money. Paul, in the book of Philippians, in speaking to the church, said, 417 of that wonderful letter, he says, It's not that I seek the gift, but the bounty which is accrued by the giver. In other words, uh, by giving and by being generous, there is a kind of blessing that comes to a person's heart from God because. Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that God loves a cheerful giver. And so I want that to be what we are about. Is God has so cheerfully given to us in Christ and all of the riches of Christ. I want us to be just like him in joyfully giving that others may know Christ and that those who know Christ may be built up and strengthened and encouraged and equipped for gospel ministry, whether in their homes or their neighborhoods or even unto the nations. And so today, I want to work on that framework to kind of give you a picture of why this theme that we've chosen, and what I would like to see accomplished among us. I have two resources I want to recommend to you. I'm always liking to put good books in your hands. Uh, The first one is by Russell Moore. It's called The Storm Tossed Family. It's half price right now at Lifeway. It's on the first shelf when you walk in the door at Lifeway and you look Right there, it's half price. Really good deal for a hardback, about eleven ninety nine, which is really good for a hardback. So uh, if you're adding it that way, of course, it's on Kindle. If you're a Kindle person, I, I like Kindle. Uh, the second book that I'm recommending to you, I don't have a physical copy because I have it on Kindle and have it on audiobooks. Um, it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It is the most influential book I have read in the last ten years, and the second most influential book other than the Bible that I've ever read. The Gospel Comes with a Housekeep. It's by a lady by the name of Rosaria, Rosaria Butterfield. I love that name, Butterfield. It just sounds good, Butterfield. Rosaria Butterfield. I would encourage you to get the audio book of it because she reads it herself. And there's something about when an author reads their own book that the passion behind it and the sort of the heart behind it is very evident. Uh, It's a challenging book and uh, I really want to encourage you. uh, We'll be talking a little bit more about that. So here's what I want to do today. I want us to walk through a particular perspective that I would like for us to get. So let me start with giving you a picture. Uh, If you've been following the uh, Hurricane Michael's devastation, my brother is at Ground Zero, has been uh, for quite a while now, and has been feeding folks. He says it's really not even describable how bad it was. When he arrived, people were sleeping under state highway trucks to get out from under the weather. There was nothing else to sleep under. Uh, it was just that devastating. Uh, our secretary, Suzanne's mom, you know, weathered the storm barely. Her house literally was ripped apart around her. She's a senior adult, and every now and then when we get past about 50, we get a little set in our ways. Can I get an amen? And she wanted to stay and endure the storm. And she did. And it was bad. Uh, took Suzanne and, uh, and her husband Jeff a good while just to get to her. Thankfully she was okay. But the devastation is indescribable. That's right there at, uh, Panama City. And so Mexico Beach is just down from. This house is on Mexico, uh, Mexico Beach. And, uh, it, it survived the storm uh and it's been the talk if you've watched uh, any news at all it's kind of been the talk of everybody in on the news channels is like what's so unique about this house in fact a little better picture of how it survived versus, versus everything around it uh just incredible devastation there it's it's just hard for us to even imagine kind of a front view here of it, um, the, this house, the reason it stood, is it was built for the storm. When the man built it, he designed it in light of in view of knowing the power of a storm. so everything in the house was built specifically because he knew that at some point in the journey of that house that a storm of the magnitude of Michael would hit it and the house survived. It wasn't that it was not damaged at all, but it was mildly damaged and livable. In fact, I had heard um, through the news sources that some of the very first relief efforts were actually staged out of and out from under this house because it was such a stable structure. So what I want to do is, in light of that, take you back to the text that was read today In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and I want to warn you, I want to make a very firm, very strong warning to you. A storm more powerful than Michael is going to eventually hit your house. It will either be a storm of testing or a storm of judgment. Jesus is interested in your household's survival. And so he says in verse 24 of Matthew 7, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. Jesus wants you to build your household. Who you are, who your family is, who your inheritors will be. He wants you to build this in a way that can withstand the storms of testing and eventually the storm of God's judgment upon all. This is important to him in fact, he uses it as his invitation to his best sermon, his longest sermon, his most in-depth sermon. This is Jesus drawing the net, saying, this is your choice. You will wrap up these words into your life, into your heart, and build your house who you are, who your family is, and who you and your family will be. You will do this and survive, or you won't. And you won't survive. He doesn't give a middle ground here. He makes it very clear that the options are few. The options are two. Him and His words, or any and everything else. And so when you envision what's going to happen to the house, who you are and who your family is, when the storm of testing or judgment comes, you have the possibility of constructing a house by the labor of God in your life. Psalm 127 says, the Lord has to do this in you. It's not just you. It's not only you. It's you being assisted by God or God working in you or God working through you to do this. But at some point, your house is going to meet some storm of testing or judgment. And there's going to be a a consequence. Either durability or destruction. Jesus is so interested in that that he used it as the way to summarize everything he said in the Sermon on the Mount. He says you got a choice with these words. And so, in order for us to think this through, I want to Break it into a couple of parts. First, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should think of three homes and three families. So when we see this logo, our home, God's family, we need to think of our home is threefold. God's family is threefold. Our home is threefold. God's family is threefold. Well, how does that break down? Well, first, the three homes. The first home is? Well, it's the home we live in. It's where you're going After you leave church today, and you might stop at a restaurant, or you may be in the new members gathering today after church, but then you'll go home. And that's where you'll sleep tonight. It's the place that you reside, I reside. It's our individual homes. And then we have a church home. Thank God. Listen, yeah. this past week, I've never been so encouraged in my life as all of the text messages... Emails. I was sleepless a couple of nights ago and the most encouraging email I've ever received in my life came in the middle of the night while I was up and sleepless. And, and, and God just spoke to my heart through that. The, the church home is a beautiful thing. We should rejoice that we have a church home. And that we have these brothers and sisters to do this life in Christ with. Together, this is a blessing. Warts and all, we're just a pack of sinners saved by the grace of Jesus struggling through our faith together, and we need each other. We need each other. The Lord has been teaching me that more and more and more. Finally, our eternal home. Paul used a unique phrase in 2 Corinthians. He says, While we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight, but we prefer, rather, to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Paul was talking about our eternal home. That dwelling place on high that is the presence of God in fullness of His glory, the presence of Christ in fullness of glory, and all of the radiant glory of the new creation, this eternal home. And everything that we do in our personal home, and everything that we do in our church home should be lived, should be done in light of this eternal home. We are in some way having an impact there, and there should be having an impact on us. So, those are the three homes, and we'll flesh that out a little bit more later. And then there's three families. What are those three families? Well, there's my home family, my relative family. That's the folks I live with. They may be blood, like relatives, or they may be through adoption and fostering, or they may be through marriage, or they may be through other mechanisms by which we have biblically identified together As a family. And we live and do life together. There's also our church family. A church home is not the buildings. It's great that we can gather in the buildings. But what makes all of this special is that we have each other here. It is a family. Listen to the words that are used. Come with me to 1 Timothy 3.15. There's an interesting word that the Apostle Paul uses. It's mentioned several times in the New Testament. I love the way that it's translated here. So come with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Pick up in verse 14. I'll give you a moment to get there. First Timothy 3, pick up in 14. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Listen to those words. The household of God. That's your family. That's your local church primarily. The household of God. It's the place and the people, the household of God. And then he goes on and says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So God describes through Paul that we are his household. That means there should be a particular kind of conduct that we have toward each other because we're family. Now work that through. If Second Corinthians excuse me, First Corinthians twelve is true. If it's true, y'all think it's true? We we pretty much agree that the Bible's true, right? So when I throw a verse out, we go, yeah, that's true. So First Corinthians twelve, that whole thing about the body, one of the things that it says is that every part of the body is necessary. That means it's important. That means on any given Sunday, please hear me, I want, I, want, I want to convince you of this. On any given Sunday, it is as important for any member of this church to be here as any other. That means it's just as important for you to show up as me. Do we believe that? We ought to. If I'm loafing, you can get on to me because I'm paid to do it. Okay, so I will fire him. But if you're loafing, what are we going to do with you? can't fire a church member. if we're not convinced of this truth, we're wrong. I believe that we have glamorized the role of pastors and minimized the role of members. I think that's what Paul was after when he was speaking to us in 1 Corinthians 12 where he says that the parts of the body which we deem less presentable are actually more necessary. You see, back in Paul's day, the most offensive part of the body was the foot. It's just an offensive thing. If you go to the Middle East today, it's still the same way. I remember when Saddam Hussein's um, big, big uh, sculpture was torn down if you watch that day, I remember a little Iraqi child run to it and take his shoe off and rub his shoe on the head of the, uh, of the statue of Saddam Hussein. It was the most heinous act that you could have. And the Apostle Paul says, that where would your eyes be if your foot couldn't take you where your eyes need to get to? And so we need to embrace that if we're going to be the church, we have to have a mutual importance here. And understand that on any given day, if somebody doesn't show up, what the body needs from that person is lacking. I'm not talking about when you're truly sick or some what we used to call in the old church covenant, providentially hindered. That means God kept you home. We've gotten to where whatever it is that we want to do that might get in the way of the church, we just go ahead and do it because we say, they don't need me. Who are you to say that? Who puts you in this body? Because if you put yourself in the body, something's already messed up. But the Bible says God has so assembled the body just as He desired. That means that church membership is not just a matter of, I like this and I don't like that. It's a commitment to family that identifies with a family. And says, these are my peeps right here. This is it. Ugly, rough, challenging family. And so, our church family... I could camp there too long. Here we go. Our eternal family. This one spreads it out beyond the local church and it spreads it out into all the churches around us. All the living Christians today, all the believers who've ever lived, and all the ones who will ever come along are one family. You see that group in Revelation when they all gather together and it says that I saw... Men and women from every tongue and tribe and nation gathered before the Lamb. That's the eternal family. That means that all of the born-again believers in your community, they're not your competitors. Where did we get that from? Why is sheep stealing something that's become acceptable? Why aren't we raiding the bars and the strip clubs? Why aren't we raiding the poor neighborhoods and stealing from the devil's den rather than trying to raid each other's churches and build up our numbers? My goodness. What have we become? When we see things God's way, home and family, home and church family, take on a whole new meaning. It means rather than tear our brothers down, we guard them as if they are in our own household. Rather than gossip about them, we protect them. Our eternal family spreads out to all the nations where believers are suffering. They're our family. We should be praying for them, interceding and helping them. And so there is this great big picture that God wants us to see. But I'm going to come back and visit that later. Here we go. Number two. As followers... Of Jesus Christ. We should labor. And when I say labor, <laughs> I mean like birth labor. Because I'm going to use that, because Paul's going to use that. That means we should be willing to endure great pain over three aspects of our family and church homes. First, the foundation of our homes. Every one of us here today should be absolutely and eternally committed to Jesus Christ and His teaching as the foundation of our home. That means that everything is built up from that. This is not something we add on to our house. We're not bringing Jesus in so that we can kind of let Him accommodate to our climate. We are building up from Him. And so the only way that our house will stand the storm, that house we saw a picture of, the only reason that it could stand is it was not. Those pillars you saw in that house, they weren't sunk into the sand. They went all the way down to the bedrock. It's the only way that house could endure that storm. You and I have to go through the labor of making sure that everything we are and do is rooted in who Jesus is, what He has done for us, where He is taking us, and what He said to us. That has to be the foundation of everything. Every attitude, every action, every decision, every behavior, every dream has to be captive to who He is. And so these three aspects... Are very important. The foundation of our homes. Second, the mission of our homes. Each of our homes should, mine does not, and I'm working through this, should have a mission statement. We need to raise our families up to know what we're about. We need to have some kind of statement that says, What are we doing here? What is it? What's going on? What are we doing here? Why are we all here in this house and eating this food? And Why did we buy this particular house? Does this house serve the mission of God? Do these cars serve the mission of God? Do these collectibles serve the mission of God? Do these furnishings serve the mission of God? Can I honestly say that what I own and what I have serves the mission of God and can be put under a mission statement that says, this is what we're about? This is challenging. This is not easy stuff. It's very convicting to me because I can tell you without any hesitation, no, at the walker home. I cannot say that everything that I have is serving the mission of God. Some of it is serving the mission of BART. Y'all with me? Can I get an amens? anybody? Am I alone up here? Am I the only knucklehead? I can tell you that there is a conflict of missions going on in my house, and I'm the leader of the conflict. God is working on me through this whole thing we're going through. It's not about us raising money to build stuff and fix stuff. It's about us getting our affairs in order to stand before a holy God. That's what it's about. And so, this is important. The mission of our homes. Let me break that mission into three parts. First off, shaping our families to the glory of God. Everything that's going on in my house is shaping us. Our entertainment is shaping us. Our comforts are shaping us. Everything that's going on over at 2515 Donahue Ferry is shaping everybody in that house for something. I want it to be to shape us for the glory of God. I want it to be different. I don't want it to be just like the world because I'm not supposed to be just like the world. Here's what it should look like. It should be an environment to know God. It should be an environment to grow in His likeness. And it should be an environment where we're able to show others what God is like. That should be going on in my house. All that it is, all that I have should be that we know God. That's the most important thing. And that we know Him through the Gospel and through His Word and through His church and by His Spirit. That's what should be going on at 2515 Donahue Ferry. That's what should be happening. An environment to know God. That means exploratory. Open for question. Bringing people in who don't know God who I cannot be offended by the fact that they don't know God so that I can welcome them and I can... Grow in God's likeness in such a way that I can show people who don't know Him what He's like by their first contact with God's people, which might be me in my house. Second, showing our formation to the glory of God. Come with me to Galatians 4.19 for just a moment. And I'm going to hustle through this last part because I'll, 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 I'll flesh this out later. Galatians 4.19 Remember, I said a few minutes ago that we ought to labor. And it's kind of like mom having labor. Listen to how Paul deals with this. Verse 19 of chapter 4 of Galatians. My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. What does Paul say? He's saying, it hurts to move people and myself towards godliness. It is a difficult thing. It is a painful thing. It is a risky thing. It is sometimes very hurtful. But we are to be showing our formation to the glory of God. In other words, as Christ is formed in me, as Christ is formed in my family, I'm able to use myself and my family as a place that I can welcome people into my home and show what God is like. As He is. This is how I let my light shine. Because the light is not my light. It's Jesus' light. So therefore, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Peter says that let your behavior be excellent among the Gentiles, among whom you live, among whom you are slandered as evildoers, so that in the day of visitation they may give glory to God for your good deeds. And so... Shaping our families to the glory of God. That's what should be happening in our houses. Now, listen, everybody is being shaped in their house. The question is, are we shaping to the glory of God? Can we say that our use of entertainment, that our use of our spare time, can we say that our use of downtime, can we say that our use of our table, our fellowship, our hospitality, can we say that really this is shaping people To the glory of God. Can we do that in a way that shows our formation to the glory of God? How are we shaping others? Because we're being shaped. How are we forming others? Because we're being formed. And that carries on generationally and relationally. And therefore, sharing our faith to the glory of God. I want to share with you something that I believe, and God is more convincing me of it. And I want you to think it through with me for a moment. If we sent a missionary from the International Mission Board um, to a neighborhood, let's just pick somewhere, in China, we sent a, a, and we found out that they, while there, spent all the resources that we sent them on themselves, they never built relationships with the neighbors around them that were gospel-oriented, They never got out into the community to connect with people who were lost with the goal of bringing them to Christ. Uh, What would we do with them? What would we want to do? What what, what would we want to do? Go ahead, I'm listening. Bring them back. Somebody said it. Bring them back. That's what we'd want to do. We'd want to bring them back. We would. I want to share something with you. I do not believe there is a single person who is a member of Kingsville Baptist Church who is born again, who has not been planted at their exact address as a missionary to their own people. Just exactly the way that Jesus said to the man legion, he had all these thousands of demons in him, he said, go home to your people and tell them of the mighty things God has done for you. Every home of Kingsville Baptist Church is a missionary home. I will ask you a question: Would God want to bring you home based on how you're using your resources and your relationships? If you were an IMB missionary, would God want to bring you back? Or are you a faithful missionary to your address? God's been convicting me of that. I think, there's, I think there's a possibility He may just take me home. Because I've not seen myself in the life that I should as a missionary to my own neighborhood. I've squandered some opportunities. I'm ashamed. Now, thankfully, I don't have to work from shame. Jesus bore my shame. I don't have to work from guilt. He bore my guilt. But I am guilty and I am ashamed. So, we've got this picture. We've got the foundation of our homes, the mission of our homes. We see what our homes are doing, shaping, showing, sharing. But finally, the relationships of our homes. This is very important. And I think this one kind of brings us back and will take us home. How we treat each other husbands and wives, as a picture of the gospel itself. Parents and children, children and parents, siblings. How we treat each other in the church communicates out into the community. communicates to our neighbors, it communicates to our co-workers, it communicates to our People we shop with and play football or go to games or do sports activities or have some kind of interaction with that communicates. There are 59 one another's in the Bible. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I've never counted them. Internet's a great place. I love Google. The 59. The church and the home through the one another commands are the place where real faith is either demonstrated or denied. Right here. How we treat each other with all the one another's. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Be ye kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God also in Christ forgave you. Love one another. Serve one another. Fifty-nine times... In the New Testament, God specifically states a set of one anotherings that you and I are under obligation to carry out as gospel messengers. It's not piccadilly. It's not two from column A and one from column B. All 59 of them in some way resemble, picture, display, mimic how Christ has acted toward us. And therefore, it is our way to tangibly display by how we act toward each other and going out into the world. How Christ really is. And so the relationships of our homes are not small matters. In fact, they are the fabric of the structure built upon the foundation. You see, this house is more than just a foundation. The fabric by which the house was built was upon the foundation, but it reflected the nature of the foundation. The foundation is sturdy, and so are the materials. When we construct our home with service, love, forgiveness, good deeds, foot washing, forgiving, tender-hearted compassion. When we build our homes, those are durable things built upon an eternal foundation of Christ. And every one of us, every one of us, need to, today, do what we I talked about last week. Remember last week I talked about the heave offering? How many of you remember the heave offering last week? Some of you were asleep by then. I'm with you. Okay, I was asleep too. I was, okay. Uh, heave offering. <clears throat> and we, we described what a heave offering was like. A heave offering, H-E-A-V-E, was something that you would, as Ernest T. Bass would say, you would heft up. Alright? It was something that you would have a particular posture. Your posture was the posture of one who was giving honor and deference. And it was lifted up because the one who you were lifting to The one you were in the presence of was high and lifted up. So you were lifting up your gift to say you are worthy. You are high and lifted up. This is a a worthy gift to you. And And so the gift itself was more than the posture. The gift was something worthy of presenting. I really believe this all my heart today. I was thinking about this this morning just deeply. I think every one of us need to heft our house right up into the face of God today and say, It's yours. Do with it as you wish. I'm giving you my home, my possessions, my time, my heart, my career, whatever. I am hefting it up and I am saying I will honor you by giving you everything I have. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 14, no one can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. He didn't say give away, he said give up. No one can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. And so I think a, a heave offering today of our homes. Lifted up to one who is high and exalted and worthy and say to him, all that I am and have is yours. Not out of guilt, not out of shame you bore that, but out of worth and worship. It's all yours. I think that would mark something in us today. I think it would mean something to us today. And I think it would start to bleed out into our community that there's a group of people living in Ball, Louisiana who gave everything they are and everything they have to someone who was worthy of it. And He has radically changed every last one of them. And the sound would reverberate into our neighborhoods and into the nations. That there is a God worthy of all. Would you bow with me? That worth is communicated to us from God, not just in the glory of creation, not just in the majesty of His person, but in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, God heaved something towards you. (laughs) He hefted up His Son. That's why the Word says He delivered Him up for us all. He wasn't making an offering to us, my brothers and sisters. He was making an offering for us. And He, in loving us, has offered Himself up in Christ for us. And we ought to heft up our homes and hearts today as an offering to Him to say, Thank You, Jesus. Here I am I. Here's my house. Here's my stuff. I'm Yours. Would you do that today? Some of you came in today and you're far from God. You've never received grace by faith in the gospel because you've never trusted that Jesus died for your sins and was raised again. Here's your starting place. Heft up yourself and offer yourself to Him. You can't give your house if you haven't given yourself. And say, here I am I. I'm yours. You died for me. You're raised from the dead. You live forever, Jesus Christ, Son of God. I believe you and I embrace you. I'm yours. Believer, will you give your home today? And let us start there and see what God could do with a church full of people who said, We'll give it all. It's yours. Do with it as you please. Stand. Maybe it's time to come to the altar and say, Yes, Lord. Here's my home. Here's my family. Here's my stuff. Would you come today and say that to the Lord?